We are glad you are listening today. Welcome. Here's Dr. Ruth. Welcome to today's teaching. We continue with the book of Numbers. Today we will go over Numbers chapters 8 through 10. I hope you are really enjoying this teaching so far and you are learning a lot from the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, so let us begin with Numbers chapter 8. Let's take a closer look at the um, first few verses here. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, verse 2, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you set up the lamps, see that all seven light up the area in front of the lampstand. Right away, we see a purpose for the Lord giving specific instructions for how the lamp or lamps rather were to be taken care of. That way they would light up the place, uh, providing enough light for the priests uh, who were to go get in there and perform their priestly duties. Verse 3, Aaron did so. He set up the lamps so that they faced forward on the lamp stamp just as the Lord commanded Moses. So uh, another significance of this uh, lamp stamp or the lamps was that it was supposed to be radiating the light of God, reminding the Israelites about the presence of God in their midst. Okay, so God was giving specific instructions for how the lamps were to be taken care of. Uh, again, in summary, number one, to provide enough light for the priest, and number two, for his presence to be symbolized in the midst of the Israelites, that way they could remember that God is with them at all time. And then Jesus Christ, who was and is God incarnate, told us in the gospel out of John 8, 12, that I am the light of the world. So here we see this light representing the presence of Jesus Christ. We come now to verse 5. I am still in Numbers chapter 8, uh, verse 5, all the way to the end of this chapter. We'll actually talk about setting the Levites apart. We had already talked about in preceding chapters how the Lord had chosen the Levites in place of the firstborn male of the Israelites. Now, in these next few verses, the Lord uh, would give Moses specific instructions for the dedication of the Levites and the various sacrifices that they had to bring to Aaron uh, before they can be accepted to begin their official work at the tabernacle. So let us highlight just a few verses because I have already gone over this. Let's take a look at um, verse 7. The Levites were to purify themselves. Okay, and then in verse 8, they have to take a young bull with his grain offering of the finest flour mixed with olive oil. Then... Um, they have to uh, present that as a sin offering. In verse 9, the Lord is giving instructions. Remember, the Lord had given these instructions to Moses. 
uh, here in verse 9, the Lord is saying, the Le- uh, bring, uh, Moses is to instruct the Levites to come in front of the tent of meeting and assemble there. And uh, that would be in front of the whole Israelite community. Uh, verse 10, uh, you are to bring the Levites before the Lord and the Israelites are to lay their hands on them. Isn't that powerful? Verse 11, Aaron is to present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the Israelites so that they may be ready to do the work of the Lord. Wow. In verse 12, then the Levites are to lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, remember, transferring their sins onto the animal. And then a sin offering has to take place, we are told there. And also a burnt offering. And in verse 13, the Levites are supposed to stand in front of Aaron and his sons, and they have to, Aaron and his sons have to present the Levites to the Lord as a wave offering. In verse 15, after the Levites have been purified and presented as a wave offering, they are to begin their work at the tent of meeting. Wow. Now remember what a wave offering is. I discussed this in the book of Leviticus, but uh, if you do not remember, or for those of you who have not listened to the book of Leviticus yet, a wave offering is a type of offering whereby the high priest um, would take the people's sacrifice or offerings and wave it forward towards the altar uh, giving it to the Lord, and then wave it back towards himself. So that waving forward to the Lord and bringing it back would symbolize how the high priest would present the people's offerings to the Lord at the altar by waving it in front of the Lord, and then the motion of the high priest bringing the sacrifice back towards him would symbolize how the Lord had accepted the sacrifice, and now the sacrifice is being returned back to the people. So in this situation, we see how the Levites are being presented to the Lord, okay, as a wave offering, and then they are being taken back to the high priest because the Levites would assist the high priest to care for the tabernacle, all right? Verse 16, they are the Israelites who are to be given holy to me. I have taken them as my own in place of the firstborn of the first male offspring. Again, just repeating what we had gone over in preceding chapters. So you can read those uh, remainder verses on your own. Verse 20, Moses, Aaron, and the whole Israelite community did with the Levites just as the Lord had commanded, meaning that they brought the Levites in front of the Lord. They laid their hands on the Levite and um, all of those um, instructions were carried out uh, correctly. And look at verse 22. After that, the Levites came to do their work at the tent of meeting under the supervision of Aaron and his sons. They did with the Levites just as the Lord commanded them. So the Levites were under Aaron, Aaron and his son's um, supervision. 
Verse 23, interesting. The Lord said to Moses, this applies to the Levites. Men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in their work at the tent of meeting. Remember I had said earlier that the Levites actually were enlisted to work for the Lord at the age of 25, but they actually entered full duty at the age of 30. And I talked about earlier how those five years were years of preparation. Boy, <laughs> it's like five years of going to ministry school or five years getting education in theology. I mean, for all of you who think you can just get up one day and be a pastor and be a priest and be a minister, the Lord is certain precedents here. Preparation, academic preparation is necessary to understand basic theology about your Christian faith so you can teach others, okay? And that does not even include preparing yourself, prepare, preparing your vessel as, as that which God would walk through to reach out to others and also preparing yourself and developing that intimate relationship with God. And I... I tell people that there are three steps of preparation. This is just my own experience, you know, working for God. And I've had other ministers ask me, I've had other people who are aspiring to become ministers ask me what is necessary to be a minister. I said, number one, you have to be called. You don't get up one day and say, I want to go work for God. It is the most challenging, but yet most blessed, fulfilling work there is but it has to be a true calling. Otherwise, you won't endure. So it there has to be a true calling. You have to have complete dedication, consecration of yourself to the Lord. And then I tell people, number two, you have to prepare yourself, prepare your, your vessel and, and work on your relationship with the Lord. You must know God well and have a close, intimate relationship with God. That should precede any academic education because you can have all the PhDs in theology, but if you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord, it means nothing. It's useless. Okay. And then number three is that academic education. So these are all necessary components in preparing to work for the Lord. And here we see how five years, these uh, Levites at the age of 25 had to be trained before they enter full service at the age of 30. Okay, we go to verse, um, go back to verse 24. This applies to the Levites. Men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in the work at the tent of meeting, verse 25, but at the age of uh, 50, they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. This then is how you are to assign the responsibilities of the Levites. Quick comment here. The uh, time frame for the Levites to work at the tent of meeting for the Lord was limited to the age of 50. So what, 20 years from 30 when they got into full work, for the Lord up until 50. This is not saying that they have to quit working for the Lord because they are old or anything else. No, the Lord tells us here in verse 28, they have to step down and retire so they can mentor and counsel the younger Levites who are coming into the position. 
especially those at 25 years old, those first five years of training, these older Levites were supposed to be mentoring them, teaching them the ways of God, the duties at the tabernacle, how to handle the dishes, how to handle the cloth. They had to learn all the laws of God. This was a lot of time. So these older Levites were supposed to retire from their regular hardcore duties at the age of 50, give room for the younger Levites, and then in the process of the younger Levites getting into their duties, the older ones were to train and to mentor the younger ones. That is what we see going on here. A very effective system. Okay? So that brings us to the end of that chapter. That was a very brief chapter. We now come to chapter 9. So what is the gist of this chapter? This chapter will tell us about the second Passover that the Israelites had to celebrate. They had celebrated the first uh, Passover right after they were delivered from Egypt. Remember, we talked about that in the book of Exodus. So now they are going to celebrate the second Passover and the Lord is going to give them specific instructions, which is the same instructions how this Passover celebration is to take place. So let's take a look at a few verses. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they came out of Egypt. He said, verse 2, have the Israelites celebrate the Passover at the appointed time. Verse 3, celebrate it at the appointed time at twilight on the 14th day of this month in accordance with all the rules and regulations. Again, reiterating the importance of celebrating the Passover. We had gone over the Passover over and over. But just to refresh your memory, this was when the death angel passed over the homes of the um Israelites, when they were still in Egypt, and then that death angel struck the uh, homes of the Egyptians, killing all the firstborn. Remember? So the Lord had set precedence for them to celebrate this every year. And believe it or not, some Jews today still celebrate this Passover. But for the uh, um, Gentiles, or for the Messianic Jews, which are Jews that have accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah and have converted to Christianity, they don't celebrate this Passover like instructed in the Mosaic law because Jesus Christ fulfilled this Passover. Jesus Christ is our Passover. Remember, Jesus talked about this in the New Testament, and I am not going to teach on this, but he uh, taught that we should celebrate the, um, the Lord's Supper, which is the eating of the bread and drinking of the wine, which would actually be a symbolism of, um, of the Passover. We will talk more about that when we um, get there. But the Lord had fulfilled this. So uh, Jesus Christ, the Lord's Supper, is our Passover. Because during that event, we celebrate his broken body and we drink the wine to symbolize his blood which atoned for our sins okay and of course this will be a non-alcoholic wine or it could be red grape juice from the vine symbolizing the precious blood of jesus christ our lord redeemer and savior 
So, with regards to this Passover celebration, when we come down here to verse 6, some of, uh, some of the Israelites could not celebrate the Passover on that day because they were ceremonially unclean on account of a dead body. Obviously, they had, had been exposed to a dead body, so they were unclean. So they came to Moses to tell Moses that they are unable to celebrate the Passover because they are, un, they are unclean. What should they do? And uh, in verse 8, Moses answered them, Wait until I find out what the Lord commands concerning you. And um, in verse 10, we get a response. Tell the Israelites, when any of you or your descendants are unclean because of a dead body or are away on a journey, they are still to celebrate the Lord's Passover. Okay? We see how God did not compromise on this thing here. That's the principle I want to highlight here. Even though some of the Israelites will fully acknowledge that they are unclean. God is still saying that, no, you are going to still celebrate this. God is consistent. But God was able to make provision for them. And we see that in verse 11, but they are to do it on the 14th day of the second month at twilight. So the principle here is, is that God is flexible, but God is consistent with his regulations. We come to verse 14. I want to also highlight a principle here. A foreigner residing among you is also to celebrate the Lord's uh, Passover in accordance with its rules and regulations. You must have the same regulations for both the foreigner and the native born. This is so powerful, okay? The principle here is that as Christians, even when we have unbelievers in our midst, Okay, let's say we have unbelievers who are visiting us. Boy, wouldn't that be an awesome privilege to witness to them? <laughs> At least to me, it would be. So let's say we, we are celebrating, say, Easter. Okay, and then we have an unbeliever in our midst, in our home. This principle is teaching us that we still have to allow the um, guests, the un unbeliever, to partake of the celebration of Easter. However, we have to educate them about what it means. And essentially we have to evangelize. And if they are open and willing to accept uh, our uh, celebration uh, in our situation, if we evangelize and they are willing and open to accept the Lord, glory to God. So evangelize to them. And if they are willing and accepting then, they can give their lives to the Lord and celebrate with us, okay? But even if they refuse to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, and we are celebrating a holiday, say Easter, we are not to compromise because they criticize the holiday. Did you get that? Let me repeat that. If we are among unbelievers who don't believe in Easter, as an example, who don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, there are many people who don't. Even when we are among these people, we are still to celebrate Easter, okay? Regardless of their views, because their views do not change the truth. So that is what this is happening here, that in verse 14, the principle the Lord is teaching us is that the foreigner residing among the Jews are still to celebrate 
the Passover in accordance with his rules and regulations, and, it, and him, God, wasn't going to compromise on that. So likewise, we should not compromise when we celebrate our holidays to glorify God, even when we have unbelievers among us who do not uh, believe in that or unbelievers who are visiting us. We still have to evangelize and uh, celebrate. That is the principle there. Okay, we come down to the last few verses of this chapter, again, which will be reiterating what we learned in uh, the book of Exodus, uh, uh, towards the end of the book of Exodus, chapters 39 and 40. Uh, we will learn about the cloud above the tabernacle, which uh, guided and led the Israelites through the wilderness. They had cloud by day and fire by night, symbolizes the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, traveling with them. So verses 15 through 23 highlight that. Let's just go over a few verses. Um, verse 15, on the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it from evening till morning. The cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. Verse 16, that is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Verse 17, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. That was a green light. Whenever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. Again, signifying how, remember, during the Old Testament time, the Old Testament people were not indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So God used this cloud during the day and fire at night to guide them, okay? And if that cloud did not uh, lift, they stayed put. They did not make a decision. When that cloud lifted, that was a green light to say proceed. Remember, I talked about this in the book of uh, Exodus. I likened this to the Holy Spirit. Uh, the book of Colossians teaches us that let the peace of God serve like an empire over our souls when we have to make a decision. If we are abiding in Christ, meaning that we are faithful in our walk with the Lord, we are spending time in his presence, we are practicing the word, we are not in sin. When we are doing all these things and we are about to make a decision, if we do not have, a, have peace in our souls, that is the Holy Spirit telling us not to make a decision. Slow down, slow down, okay? But when we have the peace of God with a decision that we want to make and we are honestly faithful to God and we are abiding in Christ, when we have that peace of God in our souls, that serves as a clearance from the Holy Spirit to say, proceed. All right? The peace of God is just one simple uh, way we can truly uh, discern the, the go-ahead from the Holy Spirit and stop from the Holy Spirit. It serves as an alarm, all right? There are many other ways, such as the clear teachings in the, in the Bible and other promptings in your heart. But I just had to use that as a simple example. So this is the same thing we see here, uh, God guiding them step by step. I had also mentioned before, the way God guides the believer is still the same, step by step. That is what we see in these verses here. Um, let's come to 
Verse 20, sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle over a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, just like I was explaining. And then at his command, they would set out. Isn't that awesome? That God loves us so much. I mean, he loved these people so much that he was in their midst, guiding them step by step, just like he is in our lives today in the form of his Holy Spirit, leading and guiding us if we would allow him. All right. Verse 21. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out. So that just goes on to explain it. Uh, verse 22. Whether the cloud uh, stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. I like that. Powerful principle here of really obeying God's Promptings, obeying God's direction. This is what we see here in these verses. Again, still applicable to our lives. There are times when we want to embark on a journey. We are so excited. We may even feel that the Lord is calling us to do something. But then when we quiet ourselves, we just sense a dissatisfaction or a reluctance in our spirits. And a lot of times it's really subtle that if you don't quiet down yourself, if you don't steal yourself, you would miss that still voice of God. When you sense that subtle, still, quiet reluctance in your spirit, that is God telling you, slow down. Don't take a move. Slow down. And it could be for one day, one year, two years. It is irrelevant. If you do not have the green light from the Lord, do not proceed. That's just the principle here. Because God knows better. If you do not have that green light from the Lord, there is an awesome reason for that. He could be preparing you for something better. He could be preventing you from an imminent danger. So be patient, be patient, and wait on the Lord. Okay, verse 23, at the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out the same thing. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his commandment through Moses. Just what I was saying. That brings us to, to the end of chapter 9. Let's come to chapter 10. This is a very interesting chapter here. What is the gist of this chapter? We will learn a lot again about the Lord's organization. Okay, now the Israelites are coming close to the time when they will set out to the promised land. So let's take a look at chapter 10 here, a few verses. The Lord said to Moses, I am now in verse 2, make two trumpets of hammered silver and use them for calling the community together and for having the camps set out. Wow. We see the Lord guiding and directing these people really step by step. So the Lord used trumpets to coordinate the tribes 
as they proceed from Mount Sinai to the promised land. He had two trumpet sounds. Okay? He instructed Moses that the community should be informed about these two different types of sounds. When two trumpets sounded, that meant the entire community is to gather together. When one trumpet sounded, it meant just the leaders from each tribe were to gather together. But these uh, trumpets also helped the Israelites to feel a sense of God's uh, uh, protection and presence in their lives through their travels. So um, in verse 3, we are given instructions about that. When both trumpets uh, sounded, the whole community is to assemble before you at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Verse 4, if only one is sounded, the leaders, the heads of the clans of Israel are to assemble. Look at verse 6. At the sounding of a second blast, the camps on the south are to set out. The blasts will be the signal for setting out. Verse 7, to gather the assembly, blow the trumpets, but not with the signal for setting out. Isn't this something? <laughs> the Lord had to use trumpets to truly prompt the people how to gather before they set out. Awesome. We come to verse 8. The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to blow the trumpet. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you and the generations to come. When you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpet. Then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and the rescued from your enemies. You see how this trumpet also served as a protection or as a reminder to the Israelites of God's protection, even during times of battle. Wow. Look at verse 10. Also, at times of rejoicing, you appointed festivals and new moon feasts. You are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So, again, God's organization, in order to mobilize this um massive uh, group of people heading to the promised land. So now we come to the last uh, section of chapter 10 here. Verses 11 all the way to verse 31 will describe how the Israelites left Mount Sinai, proceeding to the promised land. They would set out according to their divisions. We have already gone over these divisions, so I will skip a lot of these verses. Let's just highlight a few of them. Let's take a look at verse 11. On the 12th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law. Verse 12, Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. Now we see how the cloud is guiding them. They have left Mount Sinai. They are marching out, heading towards the promised land in their divisions. Verse 14, 
goes on to describe the divisions that they marched out of. We can read all of those verses there. Verse 15 also talked about that. We come uh, verse 18 again uh, discussing the divisions all the way to uh, verse 28. Just described the various uh, divisions that the Israelites uh, marched out of. Mount Sinai, we had already discussed those, so you can just review those verses there. Come to verse 29. Interesting here. Moses said to uh, Hobab, son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' um, father-in-law. Apparently, this uh, Hobab was the brother of uh, Moses' wife, Zipporah. So Moses' brother-in-law. Apparently, he was with them. We are finding that out here. So Moses invited him to go with them to the wilderness because apparently he had a very thorough knowledge of the wilderness. Let's take a look at this. We are setting out for the place about which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. Verse 30, he answered, no, I will not go. I am going back to my own land and my own people. Verse 31, but Moses said, please do not leave us. You know where we should camp in the wilderness and you can be our eyes. Verse 32, if you come with us, we will share with you whatever good things the Lord gives us. This is interesting because we know that God was uh, present with the Israelites by cloud during the, the day and fire by night. And so we still see Moses asking his brother-in-law to come along with them as a protective set of eyes. Again, this is just telling us that there is nothing wrong for you to invite someone who is familiar with whatever endeavor you want to embark on to come along just to strengthen you and to support you. This does not... Uh, say that Moses did not trust God? No, he did not say that. God did not disprove of this. This was just Moses' uh, talking. This was Moses' invitation to the brother-in-law to come along with them because he knew the wilderness as a set of eyes. And really, there is nothing uh, wrong with that. If I want to carry out an endeavor for the Lord, let's say if I want to uh, begin a television show, Okay, for Christian Network. And there is somebody else who has been there before me who understands the rope. There is nothing wrong with inviting that person to come on the set of that TV show to just see how I perform. Even though God might have given me his impressions on how to go about that uh, endeavor in my soul. There's nothing wrong with that just for an added support. So that is what we see going on here. But according to these verses, the brother-in-law said no. But as we will learn moving forward here, especially when we come to the book of, um, I believe, Judges, it appears that the, uh, Moses' brother-in-law did go along because we will later learn how the Midianites lived alongside with the Hebrews. So it appears as if he did uh, go along. Okay, we come to uh, verse 33. So they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled 
For three days, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place to rest. Verse 34, the cloud of the Lord was over them by day and when they set out from the camp. Verse 35, whenever the ark set out, Moses said. So we see God directing them step by step. And as we come to verse 35, all the way to uh, verse 36, which is the end of this chapter, we see how Moses would praise the Lord, worship the Lord in acknowledgement of his presence uh, through the cloud and fire. And Moses uh, said, rise up, Lord, may your enemies be scattered May your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to rest, Moses would say, Return, Lord, in the countless thousands of Israel. Isn't that awesome? Okay, uh, Moses just acknowledging the presence of, of the Lord, highlighting the significance of our praise and worship. So that brings us to the end of chapter 10. So let us go over the major principles we have learned from these uh, chapters. Principle number one, God's presence. Okay. Um, we talked about God's presence in multiple ways. Number one, uh, God's presence in the light, in the lamps, in the tabernacle. I talked about how uh, Jesus Christ tells us in the gospel that he is the light of the world. And that light in the tabernacle was to remind the Israelites of the presence of God there continuously. And also the presence of God in the uh, midst of the Israelites as uh, seen in the cloud by day and fire by night. Principle number two, we also learned about God's um, organization and consistency, how he used the trumpet sound to distinguish between uh, when the community as a whole were to come, come out and when the leaders were to come out. And principle number three, we talked about God's uncompromising uh, laws with regards to the Passover. So what are the major applications? As I explained earlier, we should never compromise God's law. Even when we are residing with unbelievers or when we are in the middle of celebrating a Christian holiday such as Easter and we have unbelievers who do not believe in the resurrection, our job is to evangelize, to teach them about the meaning of the resurrection if they are willing to listen. And then uh, if they are willing to uh, listen, great, they can accept Christ and enjoy Easter with us. But even when they reject the meaning behind the celebration such as Easter, we are still to continue to celebrate with joy, praise, thanksgiving to the Lord. We should not compromise on celebrating these major events in our life in spite of what others among us or others around us say. Our second application is the due diligence. Again, I have talked about that over and over. We see a God who is acutely aware of organization. We should uh, endeavor to practice due diligence and, of, of course, praise and worship. We learned how Moses really praised God, acknowledged his presence, and spoke forth his faith uh, as uh, the cloud and the fire led them and guided them through the wilderness. 
So that brings us to the end of chapter 10. And I really hope in the name of Jesus, Father God, that you have opened our hearts, that these truths are going to stay with us today. We ask for these truths to take deep roots in our souls. Teach us not just to be hearers of the word, God. Teach us to be doers of the word. So I am asking you, in the name of Jesus, that you teach us how to apply these principles into our life. Teach us how to obey the promptings of your Holy Spirit. Teach us how to train ourselves to be still in your presence so we can discern the still voice of yours. So we can obey you because we know that you want the best for us. Teach us to do these things, Lord, because we want to glorify you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we say amen. Friend, have you been blessed today? I'm trusting the Lord that he has spoken to your heart and you've been blessed by the teachings. Friend, if that is the case, please let us know how these uh, uh, teachings are blessing you and uh, share this with friends and family members. And also remember to bless us back with a financial donation so we can produce more uh, shows like this to bless many other people. And we have a very safe and secure website where you can uh, make your donations right there. You can donate into this ministry anywhere in the world. All you need is an internet access. And here is our, uh, our website address where you can make a very safe and secure donation. It is drruthtanyi.org slash donate. Again, drruthtanyi.org slash donate. And you can also use uh, Zelle if you live here in the USA. And the Zelle telephone number for donations, uh, here is the number, 909-501-9000. Again, that is 909-501-9031. We also accept donations through Cash App. Here is the Cash App address. Is the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tani. Again, the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tani. Friend, we thank you in advance for your donations to help support this uh, ministry. And we trust God that whatever you give into his work, he will bless you back abundantly, exceedingly. And together we are advancing God's work and transforming lives. Doesn't that feel good? That is the will of God for all of us to advance his work. So thank you for supporting this ministry. That way we can together advance God's work. We thank you. And may you enjoy a blessed day today. And I pray for the power of God to saturate you right now. In Jesus' name, 